kitchen, Robin's in the hall, Joker's in the bathroom, I'm peeing on the wall, Penguin's in the potty, his arm's too short to wipe, Catwoman's in the litter box, and Riddler smokes a pipe. Oh, jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg, the Batmobile lost a wheel, and Joker got away. Oh, jingle bells, the Batman smells, Robin laid an egg, the Batmobile lost a wheel, and Joker got away. Scarecrow's on the run. All right, and we're live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special Christmas episode. Yeah, it's not Christmas yet, but we're recording just a week ahead of time for Christmas. It's going to be dropping next Monday, the 25th. Source Material brings to you a extra special holiday-themed episode uh, where we're going to talk some comic books off of a, a list. That's right. We, we checked out a list, and just we're going to see how things stack up here because what I found was a list called It's Comics Alliance 12 Comics of Christmas, DC Comics' Best Holiday Specials. So now, usually when uh, a, a holiday special would show up, I it was rare that I picked something up. I remember having the Punisher Christmas special. I think I may have read that once. That wasn't something that I always grabbed, got a hold of, but these things have been around for a while. The holidays show up and you, you want to tell a nice little Christmas tale. So joining me this evening, a couple of very special guests here. No, nobody, uh, a stranger to the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network, that's for sure. These guys have got some podcast experience behind them and it's, can't wait to bring them on here. And, and, and also, you know, the holidays hit, Halloween hit, and there might have been an absence. There might have been a peculiar absence that occurred where I, I just didn't have the opportunity to do a podcast with a certain someone I have done a podcast with on Halloween for the last, what, three years, two, two years, something like that. And that is one Gavin Napier. Gavin Napier, thanks for coming on the source material. It may not be Halloween, but maybe the, the second best holiday of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a holiday is a holiday. And uh, we've we've got some plans for uh, upcoming horror topics such as lord pumpkin couple that i've sent your way and yeah you know, I, I have faith that we'll maybe do some double time next year around halloween sounds great man i look forward to that and our second guest right here on source material he's been on here before he helped me do a blow by blow description of superman versus doomsday yeah you can go back that was a while back maybe over a year since we did that that's pat mullen pat mullen you ready to talk some dc comics holiday specials tonight buddy i am more than ready i'm excited i'm the biggest grinch in the world but you know what comic books can turn my frown upside down real quick i hear you man and dc comics you know we're all familiar with dc comics and their superheroes this hit me all all of a sudden out of the blue one day i, was, I like going like random comic reviews i used to do that on a on, oh what was it periscope i'd pull up a random comic review it so i found this list about these holiday specials 12 of them off of this off of this list and so I, the main thing i had to do number one make sure we had access to them unfortunately there was only nine that really we could get our hands on because I, I did a check on the uh, on all 12 three of them i could come i came up short didn't have easy access to that makes it easy. We got three people on this podcast. We'll do a division of three. And we got, I gave each one of these guys three comics. Now we divided up randomly. So we didn't see, we saw the list, but I was the guy that held the key as to who gets what issue. And I just made these guys pick a number. They picked the number. 
And then I told them which one they got. We'll give a short description of the ones that we liked. If you want to, if you guys want to give your best summary, short summary of the ones that didn't make the top of the list. So in other words, we each picked one of those three to bring to the table to be like, okay, check this one out. If you have the opportunity, maybe this is the one you want to check out. Hopefully something like that struck a chord. It may not have. It's a very good possibility that all three were trashed because I have no idea which ones got which and quality of these in any way. I'm not a big DC reader. Hey, we know who the Flash is. We know who Superman is. We know who Batman is. We're kind of versed in who these guys are. Uh, so that's going to be the focus of tonight. But before we get into all that, we did have one other DC comic that I want to talk about, and that is Lobo Paramilitary Christmas Special. Pat, now why? Why in the world? Why this one? <laughs> I got this comic probably back around sometime in 96 or 97 randomly in uh, just a random gaggle of issues that I had. I don't know what the where this idea came from or whatever, but when whenever I'm told about a Christmas issue of a comic, this is the one that comes to mind. And it's just so ridiculous, so great, so out of place that there you can't really describe it accurately unless you read it or see the fan-made movie that was made out of it. It, it. it was a student film made for somebody's senior thesis that they put together on a budget of $2,500 and actually got Andrew Bernarski, who a lot of people will know from movies like either The Program, he plays uh, Leatherface in the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he's in Any Given Sunday, he's a big, generic, jacked-up guy. And he plays Lobo, and the makeup is fantastic. The it basically captures the issue really well in terms of like just the ridiculous nature of it, the parody nature, the bloodshed. Yeah, it was all in one, pretty fun. Gavin Lobo, you got any preconceived notions? You ever read much of this guy? Uh, yeah, I actually like Lobo uh, a lot. <clears throat> he was originally uh, pitched as. Something of a parody of how violent and over-the-top comics were becoming, and because of that nature, Lobo could be very entertaining. He could be very funny at times. Uh, the problem is with Lobo came when people tried to write him seriously and treat him as a serious comic book character. Uh, he he is well established as a very powerful figure. And I guess uh, by the nature of the fact that he's a bounty hunter, I guess he's technically a villain. Um, but if you compare Lobo and his origin to some different characters throughout all of comics, you'll, you'll notice uh, that he's taking jabs at uh, several different icons in the Marvel universe two in particular one when you when you look at his appearance his physical appearance with the wild hair and the the black around the eyes and the fact that he refers to himself as the main man he's this cigar chomping bike riding guy he's he's poking a little bit of fun there at Wolverine mm -hmm. uh, but you also look at his origin which i don't know how familiar you are with lobo's origin um, but essentially he killed everyone on his planet including all of the gods and all of the angels that they worship which is a, a ridiculous parody of the origin <laughs> of thanos 
Mm-hmm. So, so you you have this character that is designed to poke fun at two of the heavy hitters in Marvel. Uh, one is Marvel's flavor of the week every single week of their existence, and the other is this Jim Starlin created cosmic powerhouse with a very dark origin. And DC's like, okay, let's just make fun of both of them. <laughs> um, so you have Lobo. And he has made friends with dolphins. He has gone toe-to-toe with Superman. Uh, He has a dog that, I don't know why a spaceman has a bulldog, but he does. (laughs) He does. Um, (laughs) But, you know, Lobo can be fun when written well. And the Lobo paramilitary Christmas special is an example of everything that Lobo should be. Oh, yeah. I'll quickly hop in here and just kind of summarize the story. That way the listeners have an idea of what occurred in this thing. And let me tell you, it's just insanity out from right out, almost like right from the start when uh, there's this couple, they're worried as the husband has lost his job right before Christmas. The problem is, is that they don't have gifts for their children. Now they're worried about this as many parents would be. However, the reason they are worried about this is the fact that apparently their kids have very severe violent tendencies to which there has been problems in the past where kids have not gotten a present and they've maimed or, or did something to their parents. And I don't know if that's just a, a concept on this world that that they're on or what, but it, it's bad. It's bad. So they're kind of at, uh, they're, they're struggling here. What are they going to do? You know? So luckily there's a knock at the door. They open the door and there sits a book. And on this book, uh, it's, it tells this tale that would hopefully, if they could tell this tale to the kids, it might put them on the right path, straighten them out a little bit so they don't uh, unleash their wrath upon their parents when there's no gifts under the tree. And this this book tells a tale of Lobo, the main man, being contacted, I should say contracted, by the Easter Bunny to kill Santa Claus. Now, yeah, that's right. So the Santa Claus in this book is not the Jolly Santa that we all know and love here on Earth. No, this is Chris, I think it's Crusher Kringle, who keeps his elves working tirelessly like slaves and makes sure to keep a public, positive public image by the once a year charity dump that he does that's uh, considered Christmas. He accepts the contract and he's on his way to kill Santa, has to make his way through some elves you think that's going to be a a battle there that's not the case when they all show up with guns pointed at the main man himself and it turns out they're just pop guns that's right so lobo unleashes hell upon these i mean it is gruesome it's not just like okay yeah off off panel there's a shot and you see a splat of blood no these elves are losing limbs half their face it is bad so as this is i think it's worth i think it's worth pointing out that this is still a time when the comics code was still in effect yeah and DC, dc clung to the comics code far longer than any other publisher did uh, so for them to go with something this over the top and violent, especially for a Christmas issue, was very shocking and very uncharacteristic for DC as a company. Dude, let me tell you what I was thinking I was getting into here. I thought that, okay, I'm going to get, I remember looking at the cover, I think, where Lobo's standing over Santa Claus. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Santa, you know, our our, our good friend that brings us presents and Lobo's going to kill him. And Lobo on the cover has already got the better of Santa here. 
And I was like, oh, this is this is not going to be good. So I've already kind of had an idea of what I was going to get into. But then when I opened up the book and we got Chris Crusher Kringle and all this bloody gore violence going on. Uh, this was 19. I think it said 1991 on the cover. So it was the end of 91 or the beginning. I can't remember at what point this got released, but it was. It, it took me by surprise. Uh, the thing is that I really liked it. Okay. I, I was, I was really enjoying it to give a, our listeners an idea who the creative team here is, is probably a couple names. You're pretty, you know, syn- uh, synonymous with Lobo and that's Keith Giffen uh, and Simon Beasley. Uh, so, okay, here we go now. So he makes his way through the elves. Gets gets through those, and of course, he makes his way to Santa's lair. And the final ban of the, the final battle with Santa is not for the faint of heart. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I sent these guys a, a, a just a, a snap of the or a pic of the page where Lobo and Santa are fighting. I mean, uh, there's one point where Lobo hits Santa, and Santa's eye pops out. It doesn't like fly off. No, it's hanging from his face. It is disgusting. Uh, so, okay. So the battle goes, and when it's all, all is said and done, the main man, Lobo, is the last one standing with a head on his shoulders. Now, brace yourselves, because now we have, <laughs> we have to get ready for Lobo Claus. You know, Lobo decides that, well, you know, now there's a job opening for Santa Claus, and he takes over the role. His first order of business is to make sure all the children of the Earth, or all the children of the planet, receive their, their Christmas gift on Christmas night. And it just so happens that the naughty or nice list uh, is right there for for Lobo to view. And he got everybody on the list, naughty or nice. You got a gift. And that gift was the same gift. And that was a bomb dropped on your house. So Lobo takes off in the sleigh and drops bombs on every kid on the planet. Merry Christmas to all. Uh, and so, okay, so that's the story that this couple was reading. And after they, after they finish the book, they get to the last page and it says, good for one read, and the book promptly disappears. So these parents are again out of luck, just like they were at the beginning. Out of options, the father decides to strike first grabs his shotgun and goes and kills all the kids and that's how we end that christmas special jeez pat come on man you how old were you when you read this thing man i got this i was somewhere between eight and nine years old oh my gosh dude wow that was quite that was quite an introduction to the first uh real christmas special comic that i owned and i had maybe one or two odd issues dealing with a christmas theme but that was the first one i never got any of the details see holiday specials or anything like that but i got this in a random grouping that i pulled from a long box in a comic store back issues i i I had heard of it through wizard but never seen it and i got it and i said oh man what do i have here and the only other depiction of santa to this day i've ever seen in a comic was in uh, the ultimate warriors comic where he was in bondage gear Nice. I was a few years older than Pat when I got this. I was probably 12 or 13 years old, but it's still uh, a very uh, fond part of my collection. Uh, I've pared back my collection quite a bit over the past few years just for storage purposes and being able to transport back and forth as I've moved. Uh, But I can say that this is a book that I don't intend to ever let go of just for the sheer novelty of it. They, They made Santa look like a legitimate tough guy when he pulls the combat knife and he's got the suspenders and the wife beater uh, he's ready to throw down with lobo when, but, he, when, uh, when he gets his eye knocked out his next response is to yell die you naughty bastard <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> oh, it's classic. I, I don't know if I was a big fan of the art in here, but I, I think that's indicative of, I want to, I want to say it's, is it Simon Beasley that does all of this art? I'm used yes. to him doing. Okay. I, I don't know if I was the biggest fan of that, but regardless, I think this is one of those tales where I'm completely, I, I don't care. This is a fun story to read. I think certain artists fit with certain characters. I think John Romita Jr. is a good example of that. John Romita Jr. drawing Superman or Captain America or Iron Man, it, it does nothing for me. Mm-hmm. John Romita Jr. drawing Spider-Man, I think, fits and looks great. I, I think that Simon Beasley sort of the same way. I, I don't want Simon Beasley drawing Booster Gold or... Uh, the Incredible Hulk, but I think his very frenetic and exaggerated art style works with Lobo because of what Lobo is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely uh, a well-drawn book. Uh, I think it was JMD Matisse who I was used to seeing Lobo uh, drawn by more often than not. I could be wrong, but this when I first saw it, th- this had some great visuals to it. Very, very rigid, um, tight lines, which were good for the not for the narrative in place. Gavin brought up the example of John Romita Jr., whose art is not for every character, nor is it for every reader, but I happen to enjoy it quite a bit. This was a case of a particular artist pairing with someone perfectly. Keith Giffen, for some reason, has always got a kind of a negative mark in my book because he did a comic called Trencher uh, for Image. And the thing is that he, I believe he wrote and drew it. Uh, I do know for a fact it's his art. I just looked it up just to make sure. And I hated it. I hated the way that that art looked. Uh, have you guys you ever heard of Trencher? I remember it vaguely, but Here. I I did not read Image at all when okay. it was first founded and during the first few years of the company. Yeah, I remember I remember the hype job from Wizard, but that's all I remember. I wasn't an avid Image reader, and the titles I did read were the more mainstream ones. Here's a picture of Trencher number one and how the art looked there. And it looks on the left hand side, it looks like it's a that's a Giffen drawn Lobo. But that is Giffen art. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say basically it's what Image did for ninety percent of its stuff is steal the look from somebody else and just copy yep. it. <laughs> and that was that was why I didn't read much of Image because every time I looked at a cover I thought, oh well, that looks like Gambit, or that looks like Wolverine, or that looks like Batman, or that looks like Cable, or that looks like Deadpool. I will give you the last words there, Pat, on Lobo Paramilitary Christmas Special. Nothing like it before, nothing like it since. Definitely a worthwhile read for anybody who enjoys any level of irony or violence. Agreed. All right. Before we get into our Christmas special picks here that we've got to talk about, I threw this on the format here. I I definitely don't want to leave it off because it's Christmas. It's the time for gift giving. We'll start with you, Gavin. Do you have any memories of any comic book related Christmas, Christmassy gifts or or things that you gave? Anything that ties those two together? Uh, Actually, a couple. Probably in my teenage to adult years, the most memorable comic book type gift that I got for Christmas. Uh, I got a Sega Saturn with one of the games that I received with the Sega Saturn was Scud the Disposable Assassin. And if you've never read Scud the Disposable Assassin, it's a very tongue-in-cheek independent book from the 90s. And it's a lot of fun. The game probably isn't nearly as good as I remember it. But I was completely <laughs> enthralled with the Sega Saturn. I, I loved every game that I had for it. So uh, I d- that sticks out to me a great deal. 
in, in terms of more mainstream comic book gifts, I remember a Christmas in particular. I was probably five or six years old. Uh, it was one of uh, the big family Christmases at my grandmother's house. When I woke up on Christmas morning, Santa had left me pretty much the entire line of the Secret Wars figures. Every figure, every vehicle, Whoa. every play set. Secret Wars. Marvel's supervillains are coming. Secret Wars. Can the Marvel superheroes stop them? Marvel supervillains and superheroes figures each sold separately. Here, Doctor Doom and the Doom Platoon. Magneto, Doctor Octopus. There, Captain America and the champions of freedom. Spider-Man and Wolverine. Secret Wars. The secret's out. Doctor Doom and Spider-Man from the Marvel Secret Wars collection. Other figures each sold separately. From Mattel. Um, and I, I remember breaking out the doom roller and letting it just tear across the living room and putting together, uh, the little triple platform Captain America playset. It, it was, uh, one of the better Christmases as far as toys went. And it, I still remember very vividly opening all that up and all right. having just an incredible time. Nice. Now, now, now the sad question. <laughs> okay. Do you still have those figures and vehicles? Actually, uh, let's see. I still have Iron Man, Doctor Doom, nice Daredevil, and the uh, brown and yellow suit Wolverine. But his claws are long gone. Oh yeah. Um, I think. Well, they were they were attachable, right? Like that's what yes. the gimmick was. Yes. Yes. You could pop them on and off. So the claws are long gone. Uh, I still have the Doom Tower. I still have the Doom Roller, but it no longer rolls because uh, the uh, battery compartment uh, ended up getting corroded and no longer a good connection there. But it still looks cool to display. Uh, so I, I probably have more of it, more of that than I deserve, but I, I don't have as much of it as I would like. I've got to see what this Doom Tower looks like. Oh my gosh, dude! It was incredible. Dude, it had an elevator. It had a cage. It, it was. It had like a little throne room for Doom to surveil everything. It was just a fantastic playset. Pat, you ever get any of the Secret Wars toys? Was that anything that you ever? Uh... I had. I had one because it was very rare, and I wanted it, and that was Baron Zemo. Oh wow! Now you said very rare. Was this rare because you couldn't find it in shops, or was this rare like? Way after when things started to become like on eBay and stuff. Uh, to my understanding, both actually. I mean, I got the Baron Zemo toy in 1995. Uh, I want to say, but when the Secret Wars figures were released, the Baron Zemo one was not one of the wider released ones. I think Baron Zemo and Kang, if I'm not mistaken, were the two hardest to find. Yeah, I I can tell you. I'm looking at a picture. I don't know if you guys can see this picture right now, but there's. Um, I have I, I I've never seen I don't know who that blue the blue and white figure behind Wolverine is I don't know if you guys can see it or not There's Baron Zemo up there There's a blue open that up a little bit I don't know if that's a uh he looks like he's got a ski mask on almost He's blue white and he's got red on him That doesn't even look like a superhero That's almost like a custom figure or something That's weird looking I can see Falcon and I think that's Falcon in the back there behind Iron Man Baron Zemo yes. up there We got Captain America Magneto Doc Ock Doctor Doom, Daredevil, Black Costume Spider-Man, Hobgoblin, 
and then regular costume Spider-Man. And the only ones of those that I did not have, I did not have Hobgoblin, and I did not have Falcon. Uh, In fact, I've never seen Hobgoblin or Falcon in person. Uh, I don't know if they were just later released. I don't know if they're a European release. Uh, As far as who that is behind Wolverine, I honestly don't know. I've never um, seen any, any. I've never seen a superhero like that. I mean, right above that, we have like on this picture. Those are all superheroes I can mention. There's Kang. Uh, yeah, I have no clue. Well, yeah, I, I think the Constrictor was the only European release figure. And I don't know what he looks like. He does he have white in his costume? No, he has navy blue and orange mostly. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So Hold I'll on see if I can I can figure that out. We've got Falcon, we've got Iceman, we've got Hobgoblin, we've got Electro, we've got Constrictor. I'm not seeing anything that looks like I'm going to guess that that is a custom figure. I found a better picture of him, but okay. it doesn't help identify who he is. So I'm going I, I'm going to uh, go to my resource on all things classic toys and see if Aaron Hickman can help us out. <laughs> he is the man. Aaron, that was actually a guest on this show last Christmas. We talked, uh, we talked some stuff. Wish books, if I remember correctly. We actually did a YouTube video on wish books. One of the most viewed YouTube videos. I don't do this stuff for YouTube at all, but that one went, that one went over pretty well. Aaron Hickman's the man. He knows if he if he don't know, he knows somebody that does. Right. So that's a good thing. So all right, let's move it on over to Pat. Pat Mullen, man, give us some comic book Christmas memories if you got it. Um in, on Christmas of uh, 1990, uh, DC had just launched their second toy line after the Superpowers toy line. The Superpowers toy line was a lot of figures that you would either squeeze or whatever, and they could do a motion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those were great. Those were released in conjunction with the the, the, series, the animated series at the time. Well, they did a new Superpowers collection in 1990 to combat Marvel's uh, Toy Biz run. Batman's battle against crime never ends, and now you can bring the action home. Batman, I've missed. Yeah, but I only missed once. You can't escape Joker. Just watch if you can. You won't be alone for long. And in the Batcave. No criminal can hide from Batman. So I wound up getting a lot of the DC figures in that collection that year. I got uh, a flash that came with what was called the turbo pad that you could mm-hmm. rear back and basically simulate him running on. And in addition, you could wind up a, a lever on his back and it would make his arms pump. Uh, Green Lantern came with a ring that had a squirt back to it where you could simulate that you he was shooting a beam with his power ring. Uh, Joker had a very similar deal with a custom uh, flower that squirted. So a lot of those toys I got that Christmas, which was really cool. Did um, uh, did you happen to get the uh, really cool Mr. Freeze that changed colors in the freezer? I did, actually. Believe it or not. It, it would just change colors, like from like white to blue or something? Yep. Yes. But it was actually, it was a really well-made figure. A lot of detail, probably the most detailed figure in that line, and was a really good-looking figure. It, it was. It had really good articulation on the arms and legs. It was awesome for the time. Um, but yeah, I got I got a lot of those toys. That was, that was the big score of that year's uh, Christmas. And the following year, it was answered back by Toy Biz's X-Men line, uh, the initial launch of that. 
So I had uh, some of the classics in that were a juggernaut figure that basically had skates that would simulate him coming forward and being unstoppable. <laughs> That's awesome. A Wolverine with a removable mask. And in addition, levers underneath his arms so that you could retract and put out his claws. Jesse, if I can uh, interrupt you real quick. Absolutely. It, it took Aaron three minutes to respond. <laughs> Not <surprised>. um, <laughs> uh He said that it's one of the Gulliver figures because the molds for the Secret Wars figures were used in a lot of other countries because they were cheap and easy to reproduce. So you basically had the same molds over and over that could just be quickly repainted for figures in countries like uh, Brazil and things like that. And that's apparently what that is that it's not actually a licensed marvel character okay all right well that makes a lot more sense because i was stumped i was stumped (laughs) i knew we could rely on aaron to come back with something that's good good deal if if you need to know something about toys aaron hickman is without a doubt the guy so next topic our next topic we're getting into it now it's going to be the christmas specials I'm going to start with Gavin. You know, like I said, we haven't had the opportunity to do one for Halloween. So I'm going to give you the first go here on Christmas to kind of give us an idea of the comics that I gave. We, I guess you randomly received that we've got we've got to cover here. These are all holiday specials, I believe, or somewhat related to Christmas in some way, shape or form. Uh, the three comics that I received by random draw. Uh, were two Batman Christmas specials and a Justice League Christmas special. And I've made no mistake or no secret about the fact that uh, I really don't care for Batman. Uh, I think DC's treatment of Batman, uh, especially in recent years, is an excellent social commentary. The fact that they've made Batman the center of the universe when they have the greatest American uh, legend ever created under their banner in Superman, I think, is an incredible disservice uh, to themselves and to the history of comic books but it also reflects a lot of where we are in society where the alpha male uh, clean-cut all-american patriot is looked down upon in favor of the dark and brooding uh, kid that lives in a cave and only talks about how unfair the world is and and what he can do to take vengeance and justice and so on and so forth um the older of the two Batman comics that I got to uh, review was from the original Batman series, and I was a little confused as I was reading it first because it had nothing at all to do with Christmas. It was just this very hokey story uh, about Bruce Wayne stopping hijackers on an airplane uh, <laughs> by using balloons to inflate his costume and make people think that Batman was there. Uh, it was really dumb. But there was a secondary story in the comic that featured Batman being signaled by Commissioner Gordon and as he appears he asks Commissioner Gordon what's the problem and Commissioner Gordon says there is no problem you've got the night off it's a complete dick move by Commissioner Gordon to make Batman come out in the middle of the night to tell him that there's no problem so Batman responds by singing Christmas carols with some local guys uh, while in costume and you get various uh, one or two panel shots of people not committing crime because it's Christmas and that's about it and it's everything that I hate about Batman the other Batman issue that I got to review I actually liked it much better than the older Batman comic because it was taken from uh, Batman the Animated Series you can have the debates about Keaton, Clooney Kilmer, uh, Bale anybody else that's ever played Batman the reality is Kevin Conroy is Batman 
he has the voice and I would venture to guess that any child that grew up in the 90s or anyone that has watched Batman the Animated Series, when they read a Batman comic book, they hear Kevin Conroy's voice. They don't think about Michael Keaton or Christian Bale or any of that. They think about Kevin Conroy. Uh, Kevin Conroy's uh, inflection for Bruce Wayne and his tone of voice for Batman was perfect. It's iconic. There's a reason he keeps getting uh, called back again and again to voice Batman. Um, but this was a collection of very short stories uh, involving different Batman villains uh, Clayface, Poison Ivy, uh, Harley Quinn, uh, the Joker, Mr. Freeze. Some were sad, some were funny, some were uh, a little slapsticky. Uh, just the fact that they were so short made it very difficult to uh, really get into them with any type of depth. Uh, it was a very quick, very easy read, which makes sense because as far as I know, the Batman animated series comic book was geared towards younger readers. Uh, so uh, no no complaints with it. It just didn't hold up as well as the Justice League Christmas special that I drew. All right, well then, so it was Justice League. Do you remember what the issue was? Because I went over the issue in the-, in the- uh, Not off the top of my head. I don't remember the issue number or the year. It was actually a really fun comic book and probably Probably more than I expected from any of the the Christmas specials. Was it a more recent, like, 90s one? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, yeah. It was probably late 90s, early 2000, because uh, Plastic Man was one of the central characters. And I want to say late 90s, early 2000s, uh, right before they did, I think he was in the JLA. I think he was part of the team that was right before the reboot that they did with Brad Meltzer when they did that incredible storyline with Red Tornado and Solomon Grundy and all of that. I, th- I think Plastic Man... Man was on the team just before the Brad Meltzer Ed Bennis run. Okay, okay. So, well, then I guess tell me why you like this one uh, out of your three that you got. Why'd this one win? Uh, it was Plastic Man telling a story to a weird kid from a weird family about Santa Claus and how he knew that Santa Claus was real and Santa Claus was not lame because Santa Claus was, in fact, a part of the Justice League. And Plastic Man was clearly making things up as he went along as he told this story about Neron the Demon trapping the Justice League and Santa Claus as a part of a plot to uh, destroy all of the goodwill in the world. And he would, Neron is, if you're not familiar with DC lore and the villains there, Uh, DC makes use of demons and angelic figures, I feel like, a lot more than Marvel or than than Marvel does. Mm-hmm. Uh, because with with DC, you have Trigon, which is the sort of the ultimate Teen Titans villain. And you have uh, Asmodeus, which is an angelic figure that has been used. I think there was an angel that was actually a member of the Justice League for a time. And then you have Neron. And Neron's whole shtick is he likes to make deals. And it's always deals that end poorly for the other person, but he's a demon. And so he's tricking kids into getting the Christmas presents they want, but to get them, they have to do bad things. And it's not like super malicious things like kill your parents. It's like, you know, little little Sally can have the toy that she wants for Christmas. All she has to do is break her brother's piggy bank to get the money out and go buy it herself. (laughs) And... And so he's tricking kids all over the world into doing this. And as they take the deals and engage in this malicious behavior, he becomes stronger and stronger. Okay. And so the Justice League goes to rescue Santa Claus.
Claus. But because of all of the evil that children are doing all over the world, Neron has become far too powerful for the Justice League to fight. And it's up to Santa Claus to save the day. And Santa Claus saves the day by breaking loose from his prison. And he offers Neron a present free of charge. No exchange, no bargain, no no tricks. Just Neron, even though you're a demon, even though you're on the naughty list, you're still entitled to something. Uh huh. And so Santa hands over this package to Neron. Neron has no choice but to accept it. But because there was no actual exchange, it was just a willful gift. It robs Neron of all of his power. And Santa saves the day and is given honorary membership into the Justice League. Nice. So Santa Claus. Now, hold on. This is a story that Plastic Man is telling, right? Yes. Yes. All right. Now, is is it complete fiction that yes. Santa Claus? Okay. So Santa Claus is, is by canon is not a member of the JLA. Correct. The okay. kid is uh, the kid is of the opinion that Santa Claus is lame. That the Justice League is cool because they have Superman and Batman. Santa's lame because he doesn't do anything but give presents. <laughs> and and Plastic Man is trying to tell this kid a bedtime story so he'll go to sleep. Santa Claus can show up and deliver gifts, but at the same time, also trying to convince the kid that Santa is not lame yeah. because he's a part of the Justice League as well. He freaking saved him. He saved the Justice League. Come on, kid. And at, at the end of the issue, as the, the kid looks out the window and, and Plastic Man is with him, Santa Claus is actually outside the window and Plastic Man is caught completely off guard. Holy cow, like, how is this happening? Because Plastic Man just made this whole story up. And so the kid jumps in bed and is pretty much like, all right, dude, you got to get out of here. I got to go to sleep. Santa's here. And and Plastic Man's like, well, okay. <laughs> and so Plastic Man leaves and he's confused and trying to figure out what's going on. And the last like page of the comic is you figure out where Santa Claus came from. Plastic Man's communication device on his belt had been broadcasting to other members of the League accidentally. Oh, nice. So Green Lantern and Martian Manhunter pick up on where he's at and what he's doing. So Martian Manhunter uses his shape-shifting abilities to become Santa Claus. Green Lantern creates a sleigh and reindeer. Oh, wow. And that's who they see. And they say, well, how long do you think it'll take him to figure it out? And <laughs> Martian Manhunter says, well, elongated man would take about two minutes. So we'll say about 15 minutes for plastic. <laughs> I need to look into some elongated man and plastic man stuff. Can you, I mean, you probably know more about it than I do. What are the, what are the, obviously they're two different people. Ralph Dibney, Ralph Dibney is plastic man. Right. No, Ralph Dibney is elongated man. Okay, all right. So then, uh, Plastic Man, what what's his deal? I mean, is he like uh, uh, he's weird? Okay. Um, I'm honestly not as familiar with Plastic Man as I am with Elongated Man. Uh, my introduction to Plastic Man was probably the same as a lot of '80s kids. Uh, he had a figure in the the DC Superpowers line where okay. if you uh, squeezed his legs together, his neck would pop up really high, and I mean that was pretty much it. He could stretch, and okay. That's that's Plastic Man. He was he for a kid that didn't know any better. He was DC's answer to Mister Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as you get into the character, obviously he is not Reed Richards. He is not a scientist. He's not an intellectual. He's not a team leader. At, at times, been portrayed as having a very tenuous grasp on reality. Never very serious. He's always a joke okay. uh, character. Even when he is needed to be serious, 
it, it still comes with some witty banter. Elongated Man has a lot of the same power set as far as the malleability, the the stretching, things like that. He operates more as a Batman type character in that he is a detective, and yeah. it, it's been pretty well established in the DC universe that Elongated Man is probably the second best detective in the Marvel universe. There have been times when Batman has uh, gone to him for help with things to get his take on things when he's been particularly stumped. Uh, probably the definitive elongated man story is identity crisis. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, what I was thinking of, which is, uh, I mean, just a, a tragic tale. Very well done, uh, has become a big part of Canon in the DC universe for multiple characters. But if you enjoy some of the more hard boiled crime stories uh, and that type of detective work, then elongated man's a character that you'll probably enjoy. Uh, I will say that plastic man looks to be getting at, at least a temporary spotlight in the dc universe because he's playing uh, somewhat of a, a role in the uh, metal uh, event that they're doing now is he um and i i've been out of touch with comics for a few years i don't know how we got to this point uh but i do know that plastic man is currently trapped in the shape of an egg uh, he, cannot, okay. he cannot communicate, he cannot speak, he, got, he cannot change forms, but whenever he gets near the uh, nth metal, he begins to vibrate and he acts uh, almost as a tuning fork or a compass for nth metal, which is the, the focal point of the metal uh, miniseries that they're yeah. doing. Yeah, I've heard so, a lot of good things about that series. And I don't know, you know, how we get from point A to point B, but one of the series that's launching, and this I don't think this is a spoiler because DC's advertising it pretty heavily, uh, is a team book that looks to be filling the void left by the absence of a Marvel Fantastic Four book called The Terrifics, which is Mr. Terrific, Plastic Man, Metamorpho, and a female character that I'm not familiar with and I don't know her name, uh, but they go on these very... Uh, offbeat adventures with a little bit of a science tilt to them because of Mr. Terrific and Metamorpho. And it looks to be uh, done in that very 1960s Kirby-esque Fantastic Four vein. And it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm curious to see how we get from Plastic Man being trapped as an egg to yeah. the, the Terrifics book. Absolutely. So is that where they leave it on that issue? Is just a uh, Martian Manhunter and Green Lantern laughing at poor old uh, Plastic Man? Yep, that's it. Well, actually, no. Actually, no. <laughs> the last line of the book comes from Santa Claus because there is an actual Santa Claus watching all of this unfold. And in the story that Plastic Man told, Santa Claus had heat vision for some reason. And as Santa is going through his bag of toys, he just he's talking to one of the reindeers and he says, heat vision? Really? Where do they get these ideas? <laughs> ah, wonderful. Uh, you know, this is some of what Gavin described is going to be par for the course with some of these stories that we break down just to let people know. You know, the stuff I got was a little bit different, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I agree with him on a lot of the sentiment of Batman in terms of both the negative and positive. Realistically, Batman the Animated Series and Kevin Conroy is the definitive Batman for an entire generation. A lot of, unfortunately, the focus that's been thrown on Batman 
is reflective of a very piss poor attitude in a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, the uh, three issues I got were basically a little bit weird. I got DC Universe Holiday Bash number three, and all of these issues are are basically several collected mini stories. Okay. So I'm going to go real brief through what I think are the high points of the two issues that I thought were the runners up without going through every story. Sounds Um, great. So DC Holiday Bash uh, number three, that came out in 1999. The stories involved here, there's a real quick Joker's 12 Days of Christmas rendition, uh, which you can imagine how that goes. Uh, Wonder Woman and Artemis kind of bringing up their holiday traditions. Tim Drake as Robin, thinking he's alone for the holiday, only to be surprised by Nightwing, Oracle, and Batman. An old Bat-Lash story that isn't very good. An impulse story that's really meant for a, a, a very young audience about the lesson of Santa. And the one good story in here is a world's finest story with Batman and Superman. In Smallville, they find the toy man with a Captain Action figure on a rampage. And it makes Superman think of a year when Ma and Pa Kent couldn't really afford to get him anything other than just the base Captain Action figure without any of the accessories or other figures. And he was just so darn happy to get it, it didn't matter. So this family that the Toy Man's attacking with this Captain Action that Batman and Superman stop, you find out that it was a machination of the Toy Man because this guy was working with the Toy Man at one point to develop a new toy, got accused of stealing the idea, so Toy Man sought vengeance. Unfortunately, nobody bought the toy idea, and the house was destroyed as a result. So Christmas is looking pretty grim from this family, and Superman says, well, we got to do something to fix this. And Batman goes, nobody got hurt, the boy's fine, and we got Toy Man. Everything's fine. And just looks to move on. Superman being Superman, of course, gets the lumber, rebuilds their house in as soon as the time he can, and apologizes to them about how tough this is going to be, and takes the Captain Action figure that he had as a kid from Ma and Pa's house and gives it to the kid from the family. Alfred, moments later, drives up and gives the family a business card from Bruce Wayne and understands that this guy has come up with this new toy idea that they want to fund and give to uh, some needy children around the world and drops off the newest version of Captain Action for the kid. So kind of a cool little story, but really nothing else in there that I found particularly uh, all that enjoyable. Uh, The other comic that would be on my runner-up list is the DC Superstar Holiday Special, issue 21. And we've got six stories in here, one featuring Jonah Hex saving a young deer from being slaughtered and getting a family their Christmas dinner. Uh, The folks from House of Mystery arguing over the meaning of Christmas a somewhat decent Batman story about a former criminal turned good working as a department store Santa who gets strong-armed into a robbery situation. Uh, Sergeant Rock and Easy Company trying to protect the shrine of Santa Maria on Christmas Eve during World War II. Ooh, that sounds sound like it might be interesting. <laughs> it, 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 they accidentally end up destroying it. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, some of the young Italian citizens are cursing at them. But then the nuns who organized the mission trip to go show them that in the sky, there's this star right over where Bethlehem is. 
And the next story kind of rips it off. It takes place with the Legion of Superheroes and Superboy in the 30th century with Superboy trying to show the Legion the star. And they map the coordinates. They don't get there. Of course, they have some adventures along the way with a race that's fighting with each other. And by the time they break it up, it's Christmas Eve. And all of a sudden, the star appears. Oh, now I'm looking through here. I'm just kind of perusing through the comic. I see the Jonah Hex one. And is the star, the Christmas star, a a central theme through all these books? Or is it just those couple that you've seen? They loosely tie it uh, together. It's not, uh, it doesn't really play a factor in the Batman story. It's more, I think, a case of they use it heavily in Sergeant Rock. And, you know, obviously with that being a flashback to World War II and Superboy and the Legion because it takes place in the 30th century. Yeah. Also, none of that would be allowed today. (laughs) The war on Christmas continues. (laughs) So those are your two runners up. So did you give us your winner already? You didn't, did you? I did not name the best issue I had. The best issue I had, and really on the strength of one story, is Christmas with the Superheroes number two from 1989. Oh, uh, throwing a little tidbit about Toy Man. First of all, <clears throat> what a perfect Christmas villain for any Christmas <laughs> issue you ever want to do in DC. No kidding. Uh, but Toy Man's also probably uh, at the center of my favorite DC uh, one-shot book ever. Uh, it was a it was a Superman or, or I'm sorry, a Batman book, I believe, and it's Toy Man. He's he's monologuing about how Superman is the greatest hero of them all, and it's almost this very uh, perverse hero worship. And eventually, the point of view switches so that you can see that. Um, Toy Man is speaking to uh, a very frightened child because he knows that by kidnapping and torturing a child, he'll get Superman's attention. (laughs) And then the next thing that happens is the wall of the building that he's in comes crashing down. Toy Man is just giddy. Uh, I told you he would come. Through the wall comes Batman. Oh, it's a joint venture. Superman has taken down the wall, but Batman goes in and does the dirty work of rounding up Toy Man. As Batman is dragging Toy Man off to Arkham, Toy Man screaming, no, you can't do this. I'm one of his, not yours. I'm one of his. And it's just a very dark, twisted book that DC threw in to fill, a, fill in a spot where the writers and artists had gotten behind schedule. A book was delayed, so they threw in a one-shot story to kill time in between mm-hmm. and it really stuck with me because they did a very good job with the pacing of the book and uh, really establishing toy man as an incredibly creepy human being wow a writer can take their time and dive into a character and make give them the levels that they need like some are just so especially a lot of early you know early characters in dc hi- history they're just so uh, shallow uh, you know there's that one thing uh, whether it be a batman man villain who's just trying to do a heist like the penguin or something like that but it's when you dive into the psychology of a villain that's when i agree it gets 100 times more interesting all right pat so christmas with the superheroes number two from 1989 what, what do we got going on uh again several stories collected about eight pages each the first details uh and it's probably the best story in there superman believe it or not uh happens to fly by this man who is stuck on an icy road in the middle of nowhere where no one is stopping he's freezing car won't start he's in trouble eventually he's at the point where he's contemplating suicide 
he has a gun in the car and he's writing out a note. Superman swoops in and asks, hey, you mind if I come in and sit with you? And offers to warm the guy up with his heat vision, takes a look at his car and figures out what's wrong with it. And he says, well, what's with the gun? And the guy tells him, I've been here for over four hours and nobody would stop. And they just speed on by. And I'm, you know, I'm in so much pain. Superman basically tells him, you know, it's not out of lack of understanding. The where he's placed on the road, you can't see him too well until you already hit a curve. And because the road's frozen, you can't stop suddenly or you might kill yourself. So, and he tells the guy, he goes, you know, that is what it is, but that's a thin excuse for you nearly taking your life. And he tries to talk to him about, you know, don't you have family or, you know, don't you have anything? And the guy tells him basically his wife just left him and he helped her move out. And he's got a, he, he's a long way out from anything meaningful and on Christmas of all days. So he's really upset and just distraught. Superman basically finds pills next and thinks the guy's going to kill himself with pills. And then he finds out he has a disease where the skin and muscles degenerate. He just doesn't know what he's trying to do. He's supposed to go to a house that he's trying to sell. He has no other family other than the wife and the daughter he hasn't spoken to in years. Superman's like, well, why don't you call? And he says, you know, one thing I do know is someone who doesn't have, who has lost their parents, they'd give anything to have them back. He just tries to convince him to call. The guy's starting to think about it and he doesn't have anywhere else to go. So he starts the car, gives him directions from where he's at to a house where he's pretty sure they'll have somebody there. And once he gives his word, he doesn't break it. So he goes, I just want you to go see these people and you'll have a nice warm bed and plate. Again, the next thing you see is a guy taking him seriously and pulls off on a sign that says now entering Smallville. And it reminded me of uh, the real high points of when J. Michael Straczynski was writing Superman not too long ago during the uh, Grounded storyline. I'm I'm looking through this as we go through it. Uh, I mean, the art's not great, but you can see the emotion on both Superman and and this random guy's face, how depressed and distraught he looks. It's very sad and sombering. I mean, uh, is that a word, sombering? I, I'm going to put it out there. It is um, now. <laughs> I made it. I made it a word. But yeah, it looks. And uh, yeah, I can see why Superman flies off. He's he breaks the gun. Uh, that's man. That's a deep story right there. Wow. And, and again, I think the best Superman stories are the ones that are more about the man than the super and yeah. detail that, you know, yeah, this guy does have this plethora of powers and all this stuff, but really the biggest power he's got is his heart and his understanding. Cause besides all that, he's still a regular person and still can get in touch with people and just help them as much as he can without the powers. And I enjoy that. Uh, next up is a very forgettable, uh, Edgar Allan Poe-esque like poem dealing with Batman and the dark. And it's really, it's not well drawn to me. It's kind of completely passable. Um, the next story we get to is a Wonder Woman story that deals with a female pastor from a church who meets her, who's kind of given up on stuff because she lost the congregation and she's waiting for another one and she's about to give up on her faith. And she has a discussion with Wonder Woman, who, of course, is from the Greek god pantheon. They basically come to a common ground about love and peace being the bottom line of what each of them want. There's a discussion about letting love and peace be your God. She's going to tough it out and wait to try to find a new congregation. And that's, if you think the Superman story is a little bit preachy, I ain't got nothing on that Wonder Woman story, which I think is really uh, worth skipping. It's not well done for a message that's trying to convey itself as Christian. It doesn't really understand how Christianity works. So I would, I would skip it. The second awesome story in this book 
has no words. Oh my goodness. It's written and penciled by the legendary John Byrne, and it features a character who's severely underappreciated named Enemy Ace, who is Hans von Hammer, who was a German pilot in World War One and Two, who is an antihero because he has to serve his nation, but he does so against the cost of his conscience and oftentimes helps the allies under the guise of subterfuge. Okay. And so we have a VA hospital where you have several people who've been either shot down or injured and the nurses are trying to help and you see one guy with a picture of that he's drawn of enemy aces plane and another guy who is a german who lost a leg swats it away and yells at him they've gone 14 days without supplies until enemy ace drops in and he's got bundles of supplies to give to the allied forces and food and everything and he sees this nurse that he's hooked up with and starts dancing and then all of a sudden he looks at the names of the fallen and salutes them. And a guy who's been shot down pulls a gun on him. Same guy who drew the picture, waiting for his chance. And this guy who had swatted the picture away swats the gun away. And he off- Enemy Ace offers him a handshake, but the guy tells him just to go. And Enemy Ace flies off. And it's got no words, but the panels speak volumes. It's really, really excellent and worth checking out. The next story on our journey is a personal favorite because it involves my favorite super friendship in the DC universe, Hal Jordan and Barry Allen. Green Lantern and Flash are on monitor duty in the Watchtower. They basically have nothing to do, so they go down to Earth to patrol. They run into this millionaire who is about to say, screw it, close his factory, give, and give up on everything because he thinks there's nobody with Christmas spirit. So they challenge him to be Santa Claus for a night and use his money to go through everybody and drop off presents. So with Flash using his speed and Green Lantern using his ring to make a sled, they basically turn this guy to Santa Claus. <laughs> and they think they've gotten everything, except they come across one family that they missed before 6 a.m., which was the goal. So they just like, well, we failed. We give up. You know, too bad. Go ahead and get rid of everything and go off yourself. It's fine. <laughs> guys, guys like, wait, what? And so he, he looks at where these family was supposed to be, and there's just a burnt-out shack. And he sees a car nearby, and he knocks on it. And that's the family. They're living out of their car now because they lost their house, and they don't have any money and for gifts. The father basically found a uh, an artificial flower that he can give to his wife so it won't die. Sardines for his daughter because she likes sardines. And this guy's so moved that he takes them down to the shelter down the road and decides every, that a couple of the people he's met that night he wants to bring there too. And he just divides up a ton of money and presents and jobs between them. And last but not least, there is a story featuring one of my favorite characters, Dead Man. Unfortunately, this story is very blah. Boston is floating through watching everybody getting ready for Christmas. He doesn't have a lot to do then because there's not a lot of vengeance to be had and murders to be investigated. So he ends up taking over a guy's body just to experience Christmas again with a family. And he leaves and then he gets really pissed off in that. He doesn't understand, like, all the work he's doing, is this what it's for, just so he can be tortured and not ever, you know, get anything back, Rama? Like, and he's really upset. He meets somebody named Karma. Karma basically calls him out on, you're only doing this for recognition? You know, what are you, what are you talking about here? And he's like, well, you can understand I used to be in show business and blah, blah, blah. And she basically points out what a selfish prick he's being. He kind of just accepts it and he's like, yep, you're right. Hey, where'd you go? 
And I guess you're supposed to interpret that it was either an angel or something else, but mm. it's not it's not really well put together. But the Superman story, the enemy ace story, and the Flash and Green Lantern story all get a big thumbs up from me. All right. Well, you both you guys have gone above and beyond what you needed to do. The, originally, the list itself... If it would pick out one story amongst all the stories in that issue. So the only, the only expectation I had was for you guys to actually just read that one story. So I don't know if you guys were cussing me because you thought you had to read all whatever 900 pages of these specials because there was some of these things were pushing like 30 to 40 pages, if I remember right. Regardless, I'm I'm glad you guys took it upon yourselves uh, and and brought your uh, opinions to source material. So on my end, I guess it's going to look like I, I slacked off a little bit because I only covered the one story that the list had. So I got three books, all right? Oh, well, excuse me, three stories out of these books. Uh, the first one that I'm going to talk about here is, well, I'm going to go with The Night the Mob Stole Christmas, all right? This is a a Brave and the Bold issue number 148 from 1979, written by Bob Haney, not a name that I recognize, art by Joe Stanton, or excuse me, Staten, and Jim Jim Aparo. So this is Batman and Plastic Man teaming up, and apparently there has been a butt-legging. Have you ever heard of that? Term, butt legging. Yes, there's been a butt legging operation running through Gotham, and it's. Uh, I've also heard it. It's termed in this book as butt smuggling. So I just want to let you guys know that it's it's actually dealing with cigarettes. Okay, it's, uh, uh, apparently if you go down below the border, you can grab cigarettes nice and cheap, and then you can slap these tax stamps on them or whatever. This is 1979, so I don't know. Yeah, that's what the uh, that's what the the fat guy in New York uh, ended up dying over because he was selling Lucy's and yeah, he was cops, yeah, the, he, he was butt smuggling and uh, <laughs> the, uh, the cops decided to slam him on the ground and persecute him for having asthma or something. Oh my goodness. Well, so this is a whole big operation where these guys are bringing in these uh, cigarettes and it, it's illegal. So, Batman and Plastic. Jesse, I, I hate to keep interrupting you, but no, Pat, you're all right, you, man. Think D, you think Dino Bravo had anything to do with this? Only if there are two exit wounds from behind the skull. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> now that's a reference. There, there are wrestling references, and then there are wrestling references. <laughs> Tell me, please explain to me what happened. What did Dino Bravo do? Is he a convicted uh, murderer now? I know who Dino Bravo is. Dino Bravo got involved with the Canadian black market for cigarettes his, and his, tried to tried to his, double cross the mob and paid for it dearly. Yeah, his, his father-in-law was a very well-to-do man with the uh, mafia in Montreal. He crossed them, and they crossed up behind his head with two pistols. So he's he he's dead since 1993. Yeah. I had no idea. Was that at the height of like? I know he was. What was he like? Oh no, it was, it was it was well after his his peak. Run. Okay, so uh, then I'm I remember Dino in the WWF. All right, Bravo is back down to the bench as he attempts to bench press 655 655 pounds. All right, 655 pounds. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe it. Uh, yeah, well, luckily, that nothing as grim as that happens here. It's just the mobs involved. Batman and Plastic Man have to try and figure out how to stop this butt-legging ring that's going through Gotham. 
Uh, their mission takes them through uh, the, the snowy Gotham streets, which, by the way, Batman has no problem just driving around the Batmobile while people are Christmas shopping. That happens quite often, apparently. People are just like, hey, it's a Batmobile. All right, keep going. But yeah, so he's he's out in the snowy streets there through Gotham, and then they f- decide to follow these guys, these mob guys, down to Conk Key, Florida, uh, where they end up actually being captured and are smack in the middle of a mob boss by the name of Big Jake and his plan to take out a rival family that's like this big double cross luckily they escape batman and plastic man are able to stop the double cross just as the crap hits the fan returning the criminals to gotham the pair put the goons to work during christmas replacing the ever popular Lacey's display that the mob had stolen earlier as to why in the world they did this i have no idea but for some reason they stole a whole storefront that was a wrong that had to be righted and Batman and Plastic Man. <laughs> I don't. I, the logic on this story for 1979. I'll tell you right now, the art was the art was great. Uh, I really liked it, but I. I mean, come on. I don't know why why this made the list, but whatever. So who anyway, uh, who who had the art in that one? Uh, Joe Staten and Jim Aparo. Okay. So, I mean, there were some panels that looked way more dynamic than this other story I'm about to read, but the story itself just was really lacking. So that's why it that that's why it's number three in my list of three. Um, but yeah, so the Lacey's the Lacey's display is being put back together by these captured mob goons, and the issue ends with Plastic Man bending himself into the shape of Merry Christmas, while the mayor thanks Batman for his efforts. Great, everything is good in Gotham. So comic books were stupid. Nineteen seventy nine. I I just I don't know. Uh, Bob Haney. I would have to go. I swear I've heard that name before, but for the life of me, it must not have been something that I read and been like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get a hold of this guy again. He uh, sounds like an air conditioner salesman. <laughs> There were a couple. There are a couple instances I shared with you guys online out of the story. One was the overuse. Well, I should say it was only used three times, but it was in some of the oddest places of of, of the word check. Like you know, I got a quote here. Uh, it says. I, I think Plastic Man says, I still don't want those hijack hyenas to know who I am. It could pay off later. And then Batman goes, check. All right. Well, I understand that as an affirmative. But the thing is, is that Batman used it twice. And then a mob goon, just some random, maybe it was Big Jake. I don't know. But just some random mob guy used the word check as well. So I don't know if that was just par common parlance in the in the 19 late 70s. I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. There's my There's my top hits off of the worst of the three uh brave and the bold again brave and the bold number 148 1979 now let's talk about my number two on this list the number two on this list i think is the longest story it is titled the seal men's war on santa claus okay now gavin pat you ever heard of the the evil seal men of dc I can't say that I have. Yeah, neither could I. Pat? I, I must have been drunk as Cooter Brown if I ever did. <laughs> and I didn't know Cooter Brown, and I never saw him that drunk. <laughs> All right, then. I'll take that as a negative. This comes out of Christmas with the Superheroes, number four, from 1982. The script is by a name that I've heard of before, Michael Fleischer, and art by, <laughs> you heard of this name, Jack Kirby and a Mike Royer. So interesting. Yeah. And there's another name you're going to hear about, which is one of the main characters name, uh, a name I haven't heard in a while, uh, a young boy by the name of Jed. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, Jed, not that Jed, not the casual heroes Jed. No, this is this is Jed, who is a friend of the superhero uh, by the name of Sandman. Now, Jen has been tasked by his mother to visit the wealthy Titus Gotrox and request a donation for uh, some type of charity fund. Upon arriving, Jed requests the donation, but Titus refuses, and the conversation somehow turns to Jed's belief in Santa Claus. Titus tells Jed that if he can bring Santa to his house by midnight, then he will donate $1 million to this charity. Jed's plan is to enlist his friend Sandman in finding Santa. Problem is, Mr. Gotrox's nephew overhears everything and worries that his inheritance may actually be in danger once his uncle Titus passes away. And there's no way that this kid, Jed, is going to be giving $1 million of his hard-earned money to charity. So he follows Jed to attempt to foil his plan. After some time, Jed and Sandman find Mrs. Claus, who tells her how the seal men have taken Santa prisoner and intend on sabotaging Christmas. Determined to rescue Santa and save Christmas, our pair of heroes find Santa and battle the seal men. Finally, the leader of the seal men explains why they had done this. Now get this, this is the most villainous, the most villainous reason as to why to kidnap Santa Claus, okay? They had been upset because the gifts that they have been given the past few years, no real seal man needs. Things such as galoshes. They don't need galoshes. They're seal men. Fishing rods. They don't. They could go down into the ocean and grab a seal with no problem. These are actually seal slash men, by the way. Uh, woolen gloves that have fingers, and these poor guys have webbed hands. Yes, that has made the leader of the seal men very mad. And it is time to exact their vengeance and ruin everybody's Christmas here. So, or in other words, enough is enough, and it's time for a change. <laughs> Ah, uh, somebody hit the music. Um, I might, I might just edit that in there. You never know. Explaining, <laughs> uh, explaining that there must have been a grievous error over the past few years. The leader of the Seal Men actually understands understands their explanations and decides to let Santa, Sandman, and Jed go. Now, returning to the North Pole, because Christmas has got to get underway, all right? Returning to the North Pole, they find Mrs. Claus tied to the chair. The culprit? That's right, Titus Gotrox's nephew. His plan to thwart Jed's gambit of bringing Titus, uh, his uncle Titus, Santa Claus, is soon defeated. And the nephew is shoved down Titus's chimney with Santa following behind just at the stroke of midnight. So as Titus sits there and sees his nephew who is tied up and Santa Claus stands before him, He's kind of speechless. But Santa explains that Jed held up his end of the bargain and brought Santa to Titus. And it's time for Titus to follow through and write that check. But what Titus tells Santa is shortly after Jed left, the check was written. And there was going to be a $1 million donation no matter what the outcome. So there you go. There's, uh, there's your... I think this came out of, like I said, Christmas with the superheroes number four from 1982. Okay, number one, Jack Kirby art. All right, I'm I'm somewhat of a fan. It's fun to you know read and look at what such a legend has done uh, in the 80s. I mean, this guy had I think he still had 30, or close to 30 years under his belt. Maybe maybe 20, 20 or 30 years under his belt for uh, for drawing comics. So that was neat to be able to see that. I can't say there was anything spectacular. You know, we're not getting the great dark side or or anything like that coming from jack kirby's hand this is santa claus and sandman and fun to see his his art in this book uh, the story was neat i mean we got santa claus who uh you know he he's captured by the seal men. i have no idea who the seal men are 
but I have some strange feeling this might be the last time we ever see the seal men. I would assume. I, I, then again, I could hop onto the wiki and there could be like 20 stories written about the seal men. It, what did you expect? It was going to be an overbearing rich guy who was not going to donate anything to anybody. And that was not the case. Instead, at the end of the story, this this man had a generous heart after all. And Santa or no Santa, he was going to donate to charity. The purpose- I'll be honest, that sounds awful. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that's number two on my list, Gavin. Let's let's let me tell you what number one was. Okay. Now I I kind of took a look over the list before I assigned things out. Not in the fact that I I uh, you know I, I rigged it or anything, but I knew what stories were what sort of. Okay. And I was really hoping I would get this one. This next story came out of. DC Holiday Bash 1998 special. All right. This is the DC Holiday Bash 2. Now, there was one story. This thing had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight stories in it, eight or nine stories in it, 47 pages. So, this story was titled Present Tense. Okay. I get it. <laughs> And I was all excited. I'm like, oh man, it's gonna be some, it's gonna be some uh, great time travel stuff, something like that. But what I noticed was present tense started on page 18, and the next story started on page 20. This story is only two pages long, but this is this was a great story. All right, told in two pages. We are taken to the great, uh, well, the, the the horrible world, the terrible world of apocalypse, where dark side is ruling and. The alarms are going off everywhere. The, I mean, the dark side is beside himself. He's telling his minions, you know, make sure uh, you guys need to track this guy. He can't get in here. After after everybody's flipping buttons and everything, trying to put up the, you know, the defenses or whatever. Unfortunately, this unknown attacker makes his way into the same room that Darkseid is in. And sure enough, it's Santa Claus. <laughs> so Santa Claus walks up to Darkseid, looks him in the face, and pretty much pulls out his list. And he goes, nope, naughty again. Gives him a lump of coal, turns around, and walks away. Darkseid looks at everybody in the room and says, kill him. <laughs> Santa, of course, runs off, and as everybody's shooting him, every year, apparently, this happens. <laughs> he just keeps showing up, giving Darkseid coal, and then leaving. That was the end of the story. It's just Santa showing up and giving Darkseid his present. So, I love that one. Written by, according to this, it was Ty Templeton, writer and artist. So, this came out in the late 90s, 19, what do we say, 1998? I, that definitely gets my top award of my three, so... Pat, what, how would you like to send this holiday special of source material out? What, what's your last words? Well, this has been a particularly sad episode of source material. <laughs> Get your tissues. Story suck. <laughs> I think the lesson that we've all learned here is that don't tell stories about Christmas. <laughs> it's kind of tough to incorporate a good story among superheroes uh, in Santa Claus. You know, it's got to be tough. The only, like, real, actual, good, true Christmas story I've ever seen, and it's funny we bring it up because, you know, Jesse, you and I did the Superman versus Doomsday uh, fight and Death of Superman. Yeah. When we get to World Without a Superman, there's that one issue, and I think it's of Action Comics, where everybody in the Justice League does Superman's Christmas duty, which is he would go to the post office in Metropolis and read every letter that children sent to him and try to do as many things for them as he could on Christmas. So they all kind of pitch in and take the turns to do it. And that's like the only good 
Christmas story that was a full issue's worth of it that I think I've ever read. And, uh, yeah, maybe learn not to make these stories because most of them aren't good. <laughs> Gavin? <laughs> uh, I'm glad that we got to reference a couple of dead Canadians in this episode. <laughs> um, Check it off if, the list. <laughs> if, uh, if you don't take anything else away from uh, tonight's episode of Source Material, remember that uh, butt-licking or whatever they were doing in Batman will get you killed by the Canadian mob. Uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> That's the more you know tonight. That's knowing is half the battle. I, I think when you look at Christmas specials in comics, uh, they're generally kind of hokey. Uh, they're usually not very well done. They're usually done by writers and artists that are filling in for the actual writers and artists that have been given a month off for Christmas. If you're going to read a Christmas special, just read the Lobo Paramilitary Christmas special. You'll enjoy it more than anything else that's out there. Absolutely. Uh, well, I can't thank both of you boys enough for coming on here and suffering through. Like I said, you guys, you guys put in some work and, and I owe these guys a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, I've tried to have these guys on before and then we were going to do something with the Legion that got postponed. Look forward at some point, hopefully here in 2018, we'll be doing what was it called, Pat? The Great Darkness Saga. Here we go. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Gavin. Let's you got anything to plug, dude. Uh, yeah, I actually want to announce that uh, after a long hiatus, beginning in January of 2018, I know a lot of you, and when I say a lot of you, maybe a half dozen or so, have actually been waiting for this announcement. So it is my pleasure to let you know that the Casual Heroes will be continuing their hiatus in 2018. We have absolutely <laughs> nothing planned. <laughs> consistency that's what i love about you guys <laughs> that's all i've got I, I, I don't know what else pat wants to plug i mean he's got maybe some karaoke appearances or something coming up uh oh yeah absolutely let's let's hear some plugs man what do you what do you got to talk about uh well I ha i've been on a little bit of a hiatus as of late but you can more often than not hear me on sundays on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show right here on the Rattletch and Broadcasting Network that airs Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Upcoming, we have a TV party with myself and Mark Rattletch to review season 3B of Fuller House, the Netflix exclusive sequel to Full House. That is The show is dropping on the 22nd of this month, just a few days away. We will be recording two days after that. So look forward to that. Uh, in 2018, there will be more TV parties involving me. You can also listen to a recent episode of the Metal Hammer of Doom that featured myself and Jesse, where we look back fondly on the album that started off the Poison Craze. Look what the cat dragged in. Uh, I've been all over the place, folks. It's pretty hard not to find me. So go ahead and look. I'll be there. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to wish you all a Happy? No. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. I don't know if we'll have a show before the new year, so I'll, I'll we'll put both of those in there. Merry Christmas. Happy new year. I want to thank Gavin Napier. I want to thank Patrick Mullen for coming on here, talking some Christmas comics with me. DC, nonetheless. Ladies and gentlemen, we're out of here. Have a good one. That's fit to give the a lump of